Okay. Good morning. We are going to continue with our study in the book of uh, Abakak, clinging to God in the midst of perplexity. Last Sunday, we looked at this book and we, we saw that Abakuk was uh, given the responsibility of proclaiming a message or during the time when there was a lot of sin in Jerusalem. And uh, we see him wrestling with God in prayer. Before we start our study this afternoon, I would like us to turn to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we give glory and honor to your name because your God who has given us this day, your God who has placed us in the times we are living so that we are privileged to hear your word. We pray, Lord God, that we will be attentive to what you have for us this morning. We want to thank you for giving us the scriptures which are given by, which are breathed by God. They are profit, profitable for, for our instruction so that we may be equipped in the way of godliness so that we may be prepared to serve you in this world. Be with us, Lord, and bless our time together for we pray this in Jesus' name. Today we are going to look at... Uh, the, the uh, chapter one, we did a, an introduction last Sunday, and we saw that Abakuk was is one of the minor prophets, and that his name is Rea, because there isn't another person in the Bible who is named by that name Habakkuk, and uh, it was a professional prophet who was trained in the law of Moses. And uh, he was also, to a certain extent, involved in the worship of God in the temple. Because when you look at chapter 3, at the end of that chapter, he is addressing it to the choir master. So that's, chapter 3 is a psalm which was supposed to be sung like the rest of the psalm. We also saw that his name means to embrace or to rest or to cling. Abakuk was one who restored with God in prayer because that is what you read in the whole book, chapter 1, chapter 2, and even chapter 3. He is praying. There are three prayers and... Uh, We are going to look at the first prayer today and, and the answer that God gave him. Abakuk, like the other, the, the rest of the, the, the minor prophets like Obadiah, Joel, Jonah, Amos, and Hosea and Micah, those were prophets who were Prophets are enduring the time when the Assyrians were in power. 
But when we, re we rent Abacook, we are introduced to another power, and, and that is the, the Babylonian period. That's where, when we have Sephaniah, Nahum, and then the book we are looking at. There are other prophets who prophesied during the exile, Agai and, Mal uh, and, and Zechariah, and Malachi comes much later after the exile. And then we also realize that the book of Habakkuk is to a certain extent neglected, maybe because it's a, one of the minor prophets, although the message is strong. Minor prophets, they are referred to as minor prophets because of the brevity of these books. They are short. Some of them are one chapter. Habakkuk is three chapters. Also because it's prophecy and prophecy, sometimes it's difficult trying to understand what God is telling his people. And then this book also deals with questions of human existence and God's activity among the people. We also saw that this book employs a number of styles, a variety of literary styles in its composition. It is prophetic, it is wisdom, wisdom literature, and when you read it, it is a lamentation, a complaint, it is a psalm, and it is written in poetry. And that is perhaps what makes it uh, difficult. If I were to give a brief outline of the book, and this is what you're going to, how, how we are going to stand it, we are given the setting, and this is contained in the first verse. And then chapter one, verse, from verse two to four, that is Abacrack's first prayer, the first complaint as we can call it. And then in the third place, we are given God's response. God tells Habakkuk in, from verse 5 of chapter 1 to 11 that the Chaldeans are coming. That was God's answer to Habakkuk's complaint. When we go to from chapter 1, verse 12 to chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk is praying a second time, and he is again complaining. He is telling God, that is too much. And then God responds again from chapter 2, from verse 2 to 20, where he it gives the assurance that if there are righteous people among his people in Judah, those ones will live by their faith. God is going to protect them. And then judgment is also going to come to the Babylonians. Another way of looking at the, this, this book, chapter 1 and 2, 
In chapter 1 and 2, we are seeing Habakkuk wrestling with God. It's true. But when we go to chapter 3, we see somebody who is resting in God. There is peace. In chapter 1 and 2, we can describe Habakkuk as one who is miserable. He is complaining. He is disappointed because of the situation in his nation, the sin that was there. He is complaining about it and asking God why he is not acting, why God is not doing anything to correct his people. But when we come to chapter 3, there is a certain measure of joy. He is happy because of the, 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 the way God has answered him, even if he did not get the kind of answer that he was asking, because his concern was that God would save his people, but now God is going to bring judgment on them. But still, there is a promise of protecting the righteous and bringing judgment to the Babylonians. When you read this book carefully, you realize that Habakkuk is, to a certain extent, shouting at God and complaining. That is what we find in chapter, two, chapter 1 and 2. But in chapter 3, he is singing. The whole chapter is a psalm of praise. In uh, chapter 1 and 2, we find a certain measure of impatience in the prophet. He is complaining, he is asking God why. But then in chapter 3, he is patient with God. He is asking for justice in chapter 1, but in chapter 3, he is asking for mercy. In chapter 1, we find a man who is depressed. He is down in the dumps. But when you look at chapter 3, he is somebody who is quite excited to a certain extent, in spite of what he sees himself going through. When you, you, you read when you read for example, verse 17, which is very well known of chapter 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom, no fruit be found on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no hand in the stores. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So, the book ends on a high note. In chapter 3, Abakak is a changed man. What happened? How did he, did he move from complaining in his first two prayers to compose the praise? And that is the one encouragement that we get from this book of Habakkuk. So let's look at 
the first chapter, I'm going to read the first uh, 11 verses, and then we will, we will look at the setting of the book in verse 1. We'll look at the first complaint from verse 2 to 4, and then the Lord's answer. The oracle that Abakak the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you do not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the weekend surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Now this is the Lord's answer. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not be believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, fat, bitter, and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on their press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on guilty men, whose own might is their God. So in the first verse, we read the oracle that Abakuk, the prophet, saw. And that one is actually telling us a lot because it is giving us a, an introduction to the book. It is telling us what this person was, what Abakuk was. And it is also telling us what was his message. The oracle refers to, in, in, in some translations, it is talks about the burden of Abakuk or the prophecy of Abakuk. And what that means is the fact that the, 
The oracle is abandoned to be unloaded on the people. It was a heavy spiritual weight concerning coming judgment. A declaration to men what the God of heaven and shown the prophet. And that is what we see. That is what we see. For example, we can look at... Uh, A similar message in Jeremiah 20, verse 9. Jeremiah is was given a message, and this is what he says. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it, holding, with holding it in, and I cannot. In other words, when the, when the Lord put a message in their mouths, they are to proclaim it. That is what Jeremiah is telling us. And so what we have in this book is what God wanted Habakkuk to declare to his people. And so we are also told that uh, Habakkuk, this is the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. So Habakkuk is the prophet. And as we saw last, last, last time, and as I mentioned earlier on, his name means embracer or clinger. He wrestled with God in prayers. And uh, as a prophet, he was God's spokesman to declare God's word to the people. He was God's mouthpiece to deliver a divine message. When you look at this book of Habakkuk, what we have is not what Habakkuk would have liked to say. Because like... Um, what Peter tells us, the message was not his own interpretation. Habakkuk, like the other prophets, was moved by the Spirit. He was carried along by the, by the Spirit. And so what we have is the wonder of God. We are also told that Habakkuk saw and in the old days, the prophet was referred to as a seer. That is what we read in First Samuel 9, verse 9. And also First 
Second Samuel 24, verse 11. So Abakak is a prophet of God. And the Bible tells us that the way God revealed himself is through a vision. Like, for example, Isaiah 13, verse 1. Visions and dreams. In Numbers 12, when Aaron and Miriam challenged Moses, it was God who came. They, they challenged Moses concerning the, the woman he had married. And then the Lord himself came and challenged them. He told them if God wanted to reveal himself to his people, he used visions and dreams. But that was not the case with Moses. With Moses, he was speaking to him face to face. And so, this is the vision that Habakkuk saw concerning The, 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 concerning the prayers, in relation to the prayers, the, 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 the situation that was there was in Jerusalem. So Habakkuk was a prophet, and the work of the prophet was to pay attention to what God was telling telling them, the, the prophet he heard from God and then spoke to, to the people on behalf of, of God. And the ones that the prophet heard, or, or rather the way that God revealed himself through uh, to the prophets was through, through ones and through pictures like visions and dreams. So what we are having here in this book, we, we have gone speaking to Habakkuk, revealing to himself, revealing to the prophet what he was going to do. And the purpose of the prophet was to speak, to give that message back to the people, to, to the people to tell them what God had revealed. The message could be a challenging one, a challenge to their wickedness, to their sin. When God's people did wrong, the prophet was to correct them, to, 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 correct the, the, to point at the wrong that they were doing. When they did right, the prophet was to encourage them, to comfort them. But we know in the Bible also, we, we have false prophets. And false prophets would only talk about comfort. You remember in 1 Kings chapter 22, from verse 8 to 28, here is uh, Ahab and Jehoshaphat. And, and Ahab wants to go to war. And then 
Jehoshaphat asks if there is a, if there is a prophet, and here are four hundred prophets of Ahab, and all of them, when they are called, they are prophesying, encouraging the king to go to war. And and then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, asks. Is there another prophet whom we could consult? And King Ham says, there is Micaiah. But he says, I don't like him because he never gives me a positive message. And when he was called, when Micaiah came, at first he was asked, should we go to war? And he said, yes, go, and you will succeed. But then, the prophet Ahab said, challenged him. He told him, I, I always tell, tell you to tell me the truth. And then he gave him the message of God. And the message was not going to be good. Ahab was going to be defeated and, and be killed. But he didn't, he didn't like that one either. So the prophet of God, the true prophet has got to give the truth to declare the message. And so even as we look at this book, let's remember that it is part of the scripture. The whole book of Habakkuk is profitable to equip us for our daily walk with Christ. Habakkuk is God's witness in Waken Judah. And when we look, we, we think about it, even in our own time, God has given us his word. He has also given us the Holy Spirit. He has given us the gospel. Those are the means that God uses to encourage and to edify and to equip the church, even as it perseveres in a depraved world. From, as we read this book, we need to realize that God has revealed himself in history. He controls whatever happens in history. He is in charge of the past, the present, and even the future. When you look at this book again, the times that Habakkuk was uh, living, they were not easy times, they were difficult times. And the same is true of us. The Christian life is not that of comfort. It is not a life of ease and prosperity. It is not a calm voyage through this life. But we have the promise of God that we will reach our eternal destination. Maybe the question that one would ask is, how do we respond to the difficult times that we find ourselves in? And the answer to that one we find it in Romans chapter 8. In fact, we are truly privileged because we have the whole wonder of God, the whole revelation of Scripture. 
which Abakak did not have. And when you read that chapter, God tells us that all things work together for good. And also, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let's look at Habakkuk's first prayer. He is saying, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? And when you look at that one, it is something which is speaking about somebody who has been praying for a long time. Was living at a time when sin was multiplying, when the law of God was neglected. And he had been praying about it, bringing the concerns to the God of heaven. How long? And we find similar prayers in the book of Psalms. Psalm 13, 1 to 4 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long, all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. When we come across a complaint like this one, it is a kind of a, a complaint that one would uh, be giving maybe to somebody an expression of frustration when it appears as if the one we are pleading with, the one we are beseeching and praying and asking is not responding at all. But maybe like the case was with Habakkuk, he did not understand God's ways. Habakkuk is uh, trying to the covenant God on behalf of the covenant people. Avakok was a believer and he is praying for deliverance. And God seemed to be different. In, in verse 3, for example, he is complaining about God's rule of this world. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you tolerate injustice? 
he is talking about the, the sins of Judah, the problems that were there, the violence that was there, the plundering that was there, injustice to the innocent people. He is complaining about the legal system which did not seem to work, or a system which was favoring the weekend. We realize that justice is to be found in the law of God. But when the law is neglected, then there is going to be exploitation. There is going to be corruption. And that is what Habakkuk was addressing. That is what he was living through in the Judah of his day. And it looks like it is a problem which had been there for quite some time because when you read Isaiah 5 from verse 20 to 23, this is what Isaiah says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. Acquit the guilty for unbribe and deprive the innocent for his right. So th those are the problems that we find Abacook having to deal with, praying so that God would intervene in his nation and bring justice. Because when you look at it, people are neglecting the word of God. The situation was unbearable. That is what he is saying. How long? He was engaged in a struggle because of the problem of sin. And he is asking, why does God not judge the weekend? Why is God, he is asking God directly, why are you not doing anything about the wickedness in our nation? Why do you seem to remain silent? How could you tolerate the situation that was existing? So that is the problem that Abakuk was facing, and that is what we read in this first of his prayers. How does that compare with our prayers? In many of our prayers, we are putting our requests for things. If one is sick, we pray to be healed. We are praying for God's blessings of our future. But we also, like Abacook, need to look at the situation that we find ourselves in as a nation, for example, and bring 
the problems, the sin that we see in our nation before the God of heaven. Because God is sovereign. He is the ruler of the universe, of the whole creation. When you think about our own times, some of the sins of our time, I think to a certain extent we can say there is violence just like Habakkuk mentioned it. Domestic violence, road carnage, so many people are dying on our roads. What about the corruption scandals? So many of them. And these are some of the things that we need to bring to God. How long before God can help us? Why is God not listening to our appeals? We also need to realize that God doesn't countenance sin. And in due time, he's going to bring judgment. For example, in Genesis 15 verse 16, God is talking to Abraham. And he is telling them he's going to bless him. He's going to give him, to make him a father of multitudes a great nation, but then he tells them that he tells them that his people will be slaves in a foreign land for four hundred years. Why? Because the sin of the Amorite has not yet become full. And when that happened, God delivered his people and used them to drive out the sinful nation. God takes action. When you look at the New Testament in the book of Romans, chapter 1, you can look at that one. From verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So God's wrath is revealed, and when you read that chapter later on, it reaches a point where God gives men up, gives them up to their own wickedness. And that one is very serious. God may allow some people to express their high degree of wickedness before he saves them. And, uh, for example, when you read Second Chronicles chapter 33, you read about King Manasseh. He was a very wicked king. In fact, 
the sins, the judgment that we see coming to the people of Judah, it, it was all because of King Manasseh. He was a very wicked king, but God, to a certain extent, intervened and saved him, even though he was that wicked. In the New Testament, we have Saul of Tarsus doing all he could to destroy the Church of Christ when God changed him, even as he was going to persecute the Church, to drag all the Christians and bring them to Jerusalem. God intervened on his way to Damascus and saved him and changed his life, changed him from being the chief of sinners to being an apostle of the gospel of Christ. When you also look at the cross of Christ, it was a result of the, the wickedness of, God's of the religious leaders together with the unbelievers, the Gentiles, who, kings who were in power. But out of that act of wickedness, yet God brought salvation because the Lord was raised from the dead. So, even as we think about the problems, the sins of our times, we need to pray for the renewal of our nation. In true religion and righteousness, that would magnify the grace of God. The questions that Habakkuk is asking, he is trying to understand the nature and the actions of God in the face of evil and suffering. When we see weakened, prospering, and God's people suffering, we may think that the Lord is too slow in responding to the evil we are enduring. Yet God is at work. And He works in ways that we do not expect. And this is exactly what I happens because when God answers Habakkuk, it is in an amazing way. Let's look at the Lord's answer from verse 5. In fact, he is challenging the prophet. You have been so too much preoccupied with the problems, the local problems of this nation. Look among the nations, be international. Look among the nations and wonder and be astounded. 
For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe. Habakkuk focused on local interests, but the Lord is the Lord of all the nations. His purposes encompass the whole world. He is in total control. Maybe Habakkuk had forgotten the Lord's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. In your sins, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And when Abacuc is, when the Lord is addressing Abacuc in, in, in the, verse 5, it is not just Abacuc, he is addressing the whole nation of Judah. And he is saying, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. He is saying, pay attention to what I'm going to do. Meditate on it. Deliberate. View the world rightly and think about it. Wonder. Be astounded. Be dumbfounded. Be astonished. And, and God is saying, and the, the, the Lord is saying this because Abacuc and asked whether God was really working. And God says, yes, in your days, God is at work. God is always at work. He is in control. He has been in the past. He is at work in, in the present. And he will continue working even in future. He has not surrendered the running of the universe into anybody else's hands. He is still God who is sovereign over his work. Even in our days, God is working in marvelous ways. This is what he says in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 21. For the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perazim, as in the valley of Gibeon. He will be roused to do his deed. Strange is his deed. And to work his work, alien is his work. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful, wonderful things with these people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. That is uh, Isaiah 28, verse 21, and also 29, verse 14. In Acts chapter 13, Paul is in Pisidian Antioch. And he is preaching to the Jews there who were well informed about the law of God, who knew the word of God. And 
in in verse 14 and 41, no, verse 23 is talking about God sending the Messiah, the Christ, and sending him to the cross to die so that he could bring forgiveness of sin. And then in verse 41, he cautioned them, 14 and 41, Be, Beware therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. And what is said in the prophets is Paul is actually putting Habakkuk, Luke, use coffers. Be astonished and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one testified to you. God is applying what Paul is applying what God had revealed to Habakkuk to the situation that was existing in his day. And he is emphasizing the fact that God is at work. He has brought the Messiah. Christ has died on the cross so that we could be saved. And he is telling them to remember what, what happened during the days of Habakkuk, what God said through the prophets. God is truly at work. When you continue, we, we, we continue looking at this answer that God is giving, in verse 6, God is still responding to the, to the challenge that Habakkuk had given, the complaint that God was not, did not seem to care to be at work. I am working, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That is the answer that God is giving. That bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to these dwellings not their own. God is empowering a heathen nation as the answer to Judah's problems, Judah's sin. The Chaldeans were God's answer to the injustice of Judah. And they ended up destroying Judah and Jerusalem in 586 BC and sent very many people to exile. God is sovereign. What occurs on the face of the earth has been designed by his intelligent plan. When we see nations marshalling their armies and so on, we need to realize that those armies are under the control of God. Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2, The earth is the lawns and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rocks. And Job, in chapter 12, verse 23, this is what he says. He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations 
and lens them away. You look at Isaiah 40, verse 15 and 17, and this is what we read. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. So the Lord is in control. He was raising the Babylonians, and the Babylonians and, and described as bitter, cruel, hasty. They were inhuman. They were taking whatever they wanted. It was truly a destructive force. Their destruction of Nineveh in 612 BC was sudden violent and radical. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And even before Nineveh fell in 612 BC, there were two other capitals, capital cities, Asu and Nimrod, which had already fallen. So Babylon was the instrument God used as a means of spiritual improvement over his people. And what we need to realize is uh, what we are reading in Abakak about what God was going to do, bring, raising up this nation, was not new. Because you look at uh, Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you look at a few verses, verse 15, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So curses are given. And then in verse 49, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand. A hand-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. Verse 64, And the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples, from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. So what is happening? Maybe Habakkuk and forgotten the wonder of God, just like we 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 said earlier on. And when you read the book of the kings, of course, it all depended on the king who was in power. If he was a God-fearing man, then there would be spiritual revival. 
and godliness. But then if he was a weekend king who encouraged idol worship, obviously the nation would follow him. A hundred years before the time of Habakkuk, God had revealed what he was going to do. In Isaiah chapter 39, verse 6 and 7, Behold, the days are coming. When all that is in your house, this is Isaiah telling King Ezekiah, Behold, the days are coming. When all that is in your house, and, and that which is your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon, nothing shall be left says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom your father shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So that is uh, what is happening. That is what God had declared even during the time of Isaiah, many years earlier on. So God really was, was at work. Verse 7 of this chapter we are looking at describes the Babylonian army as they are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and their dignity go forth from themselves. They are terrible. They are feared. All who faced them would recoil in fear. And the Babylonian justice was from themselves, not from the word of God. Their horses are softer than the leopards. In fact, we have already read what was what was declared even by Moses himself. Leopards are swift and fierce, rushing against their prey. It is, the, the, the army is also described like wolves. Wolves tearing apart their victims is described like eagles, eagles swiftly flying to devour. And when you look at all these animals, they were unclean. And then, then verse 9 tells us, they all come for violence, all their faces forward. Violence, and that is what Habakkuk was crying about. That, that is what Habakkuk was talking about, how long shall I cry for help or cry to you, violence, and violence is going to come. In fact, what we are seeing here is, uh, is the, the scene of Judah visiting them, the, the, the punishment for that, their sin, is what 
they were doing, the violence that there was existing in Judah, would be, the answer to that one would be violence. Violence begets violence. And that is what we need to realize, because that is actually what the word of God declares. Psalm 7 verse 14, Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into it the hole that he has made. He, his mischief returns upon his own hand, and on his own skull his violence descends. Remember, in the book of Esther, chapter 7, here is Haman. He doesn't like Mordecai. He sets up Galo so that, Mordecai could, so that he could hang Mordecai on those gallows. But then the situation was changed. Verse 7 of Esther chapter 7. Verse 10 of Esther chapter 7. And the king said, hang him on that. So they hanged Ammon on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. That is what happens. And these people were not even respecting the kings whom they conquered. Verse 10 says, at kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at the very, every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Mockery of their captives. That is what is happening here. So, we need to realize that even if we feel at times God is not Hearing our prayers, God is still at work. The encouraging thing about this book is the fact that we pray to a God who hears our prayers. Because he heard Habakkuk when he cried to him. Even if the answer that he gave, as we shall see later on as we continue in this, this chapter, even if God's answer is not what he was expecting, God still answered him. Maybe as we conclude, we need to realize that God is patient with the sinners as he calls men to repentance. But we also need to remember that he is also God of wrath against the sins of the nations. I think we will stop there and continue later on with the second prayer of Habakkuk. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for giving us your one this morning. We pray even as we face various challenges, even as we look at our nation, that long gone we will express you our concerns. We will pray for our nation, for mercy, because when we see what is happening, we know it's only by your mercy that Lord we are able to stand. 
We pray for the church in this country that Lord God it will be a church that stands for the truth, a church that stands on the word of God, because there are so many things that have crept into the church itself, so that the word of God is neglected at the expense of material things. Be merciful, Lord. We want to thank you for our church, for the word of God that is preached here. We pray, Lord God, for your blessings upon us this day. Be with us, for we pray this in Jesus' name.